0: Let's just bow before the Lord again and as we come to His Word. Father, Your Word is um, health for our, our bones, um, it's health for our souls, it provides nourishment, it provides uh, food for us. Oh Lord, when we come before Your, your Word, Um, Whilst we we have but a translation in our hands, we have confidence that it is your word that has come to us, and we are so thankful that we have it in our hands and that we can read it and we can can study it, we can uh, worship in it and through it and over it. Lord, I thank you for your word. You know my thoughts, Father, but uh, I just ask that by your Holy Spirit, as Steve has already prayed, that it is your word that comes to us, and nothing from me, but uh, it, it is your word, and so help us to have our ears, our hearts, our minds ready to receive whatever you may have before us today. And Lord, I bow in your presence, knowing my own weakness, and I ask by your Holy Spirit that there will be power in your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today is the first in our series of the Advent, uh, uh, Advent studies. I haven't wore red trousers just because it's getting close to that particular season. I just like red. <laughs> um, but today is the first day of our Advent series uh, this year. And as a framework to us and a, a, a frame to work within, we're looking at the famous poem by Isaac Watts, "Joy to the World." And this poem, which was, uh, which was, it's become a much loved Christmas carol, hasn't it? "Joy to the World." Uh, we'll come to it in a minute. But it was written in 1719 by Isaac Watts, and we often sing it at this time of the year, both out of tradition, but also because it's, it's actually, um, it's got rich words in it, and uh, we, we we just love to 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 sing them. So today I'm going to be using the, the, first, uh, the first verse of that as the kind of the setting for what the Lord has laid on my heart. So if we go to the next page, we'll just look at the whole poem. And uh, sorry, I put all four verses, it's a little bit small, but the first verse says this, it says, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and my other Feldwell elders will be going through the rest of the verses. But it's interesting that the third verse doesn't often show up in our songbooks, does it? I just happened to notice that. So, as I said, the poem was inspired by Psalm 98, and what I felt led to do was to look at that passage, Psalm 98, and to look at the first stanza, and in particular, look at the first verse of that psalm. Psalm 98, we'll just read it now, it's up on the screen there for you, I'm I'm reading from the ESV version at the moment, Um, so let me just turn to Psalm 98, we'll just read that first verse, Psalm 98, make a joyful noise to the Lord a psalm, oh sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him, the Lord has made known his salvation he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of nations he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of israel all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our god oh, it's a wonderful psalm isn't it wonderful so let's set the scene so, so this this book <coughs> this psalm sits is is uh, and and others will be able to more ably tell you about the psalms than i but the psalms is a book of poetry and it expresses a variety of emotions, and, and it's, 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 it's wonderful to be able to grapple with the whole book. You get love and adoration towards God. You get this sorrow over sin. You get dependence on God and desperate circumstances. Uh, you, you're walking with God when it seems dark. Devotion to the Word of God and confidence in the eventual triumph of God's purpose for the world. You see, you get all these emotions in the book of the Psalms. Now, there are five separate groupings of the Psalms. This is kind of interesting, or books. And today we're going to look at, we were looking at Psalm 98, which sits within the fourth book. And that book looks at responses to questions that were raised in the third book of the Psalms. And we can talk about that another time. But sitting in the center of this group are eight Psalms, Psalm 93 through 100. And these are called Royal Psalms. Royal Psalms, because they affirm the truth that the Lord reigns. So this is what we're looking at. Psalm 98 sits right in the middle of all of that. And so now, when we looked at these first three verses, but let me read the first verse again. Oh, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and holy arm have worked salvation for him. Psalm 98 is attributed to King David. King David, the son of Jesse, is attribu- many of the psalms are attributed to him and he's known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. But he was also their king. So interesting that a king should write this kind of psalm. And so we have... In, as having read the psalm, we have this, o- it's, it's like the opening of refrain of that, 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 that carol that we, we're, we're looking at, isn't it? Joy to the world, oh, sing a new song. The writer uses that exclamation, oh, to draw our attention to the need to respond. And we'll come back to this opening line in, in a few moments, but what I wanted to explore is the second part of that line, which I think s- answers the questions, so why, why should they sing? A new song. What does he say? He says, For, for he has done marvelous things. Marvelous things. <coughs> so, who is the he? The he there is God. God has done marvelous things. So, what things has God done that should cause us to have a new song of worship, of praise, and thanks to rise in our hearts? Well, let's look at a few. So, we can give thanks for creation. I love this picture. There's those men on the moon, and they took this photo of Earth rising up. Isn't it beautiful? Look at the color there, that blue richness. God has created that. I was looking for a picture from the, you know, the Hubble telescope so you can see all the planets in a line. You know, Saturn, Jupiter, Jupiter, Mars. God has placed them there the wonder of the universe and creation. You see those pictures of the Milky Way? I don't have one here, but it's, it's that, like, like this cloud and this myriad of, of stars and planets and dust. And God has done a marvelous thing in creating the earth. We get the plants and we get the flowers. I, I just love it when, when, when uh, Megan, Megan showed me the other day. I can't remember which vegetable it was, but you pop it in a bit of water and it regenerates. I can't remember whether it was celery or something like that, I think it was celery. You pop it in a, in a cup of water and it regenerates. And, and I just love watching that when you're, when you're a kid, you know, you get the seed and you put it in the water and then it sort of sits there a few days and looks a bit dull. And then suddenly you see this stuff sprouting out of it. Look at that. It goes from that little germinating, germinating seed into that beautiful flower. Isn't that marvelous? God has done that God has done that oh joy to the world god has done marvelous things what about the human race god's pinnacle of creation man every tribe nation tongue look at the, even just in those um, seven faces each of them one unique distinct dignified marvelous. God has done that. That's what we get in this psalm. God has done that. He's created the human race. But as we come into the Advent season, there's one person, one person out of the entirety of human, human history that, that is past and that is to come who is central to it all. God's gift to humanity, Jesus, his own son. Isn't that wonderful? And a hymn frames this season. So it says, joy to the world. What does he say, the poet? He says, the Lord is come. So you see, Jesus has arrived. And this is what we celebrate in the Advent season, isn't it? That Jesus has arrived. He's here. He has been here. And we'll come on to it that he is alive as well. So let's look at some other scriptures that wonderfully highlight the birth of Jesus. Isaiah, one of the great prophets of of Israel, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, wrote this. He writes, for us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father prince of peace we studied this last year if you may recall and what and what does it go it goes on to say of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness and from this this time forth and forevermore and for the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this he has done it because Jesus has come Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Friends, it's not only marvelous that he was just born. It is what his being here on earth has accomplished and the eternal consequences of that which God draws our attention to. Luke, in his gospel, records the words of Simeon. uh, and, And see, we have this picture here. This is from the Chosen series. There, the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus there, that lowly babe who's come into the world. The Lord is come. He was there in that manger. And so we get on the next page, we get the Simeon speaking these wonderful words. It's, it's the words of Simeon, who was a priest in Jerusalem at the time. So Jesus was born into a Jewish family, and it was their obligation to fu- fulfill and follow the law. Of, of the Judea law around the rituals of a new birth. And so they came to the temple and you get Simeon. And he receives the child into his arms. So that child there, like in that picture, a small child. And what does it say? Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came, into the spirit in the, he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. God has done marvelous things in Jesus that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for the revelation to the gentiles and for your glory to the people Israel. Jesus is for everybody. Isn't that amazing? God has done marvelous things because Jesus is for everyone. So you see in this chapter of Luke we can see the wonder of the first advent. What does advent mean? It means the gone out of my head jesus came first time (laughs) so jesus came the first time jesus the son of god having been born of a virgin and that's miraculous in and of itself isn't it god has done marvelous things who's ever heard of that before and it's never happened again and so they presented christ to the priest as an infant (coughs) where the initial sense uh, there's an initial sense of earth receiving her kings he's that joy to the world let the, earth, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It's like that picture, isn't it? There, There's the, the lowly Savior there in the arms of his earthly mother. <coughs> Let earth receive her king. And so we have <coughs> these marvelous, other marvelous things that God has done. So Jesus, from a very early age, taught us what it means to understand the scriptures and to be devoted to our Heavenly Father. At twelve, at twelve, I was, I will admit, I was still playing with my cards. <laughs> I loved them. <laughs> but at twelve, there he is in the temple, asking and answering questions. And they were amazed. It says there in Luke 2, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. God has done marvelous things. Jesus, who is the son of God, who is God in himself, there as a lowly child, sat doing what his father wanted him to do, being in his house. Isn't that wonderful? But Jesus, in Luke 19, says that he came to seek and save the lost. God has done marvelous things. He has come to seek and save the lost he came to heal the sick the wounded the broken and like the paralytic man he came to heal him i just love the story in luke luke 5 isn't this amazing you know his friends they'd gone up they were desperate to get him healed they were desperate to see his life transformed in some way and so what do they do they carry him up on the rooftop because it was too crowded they bring the man on the bed who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before jesus but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst of jesus there he is there's the man on his bed and when they saw their faith he said man your sins are forgiven you but the pharisees began to question saying who is jesus who is this who speaks blasphemies Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. So this man was transformed. Okay, this is a, it's not this man, but he, he, he's on his bed. His friends had let him down. How, how long he'd been like that, who knows? But they let him down through the roof, and he walks out the door. Isn't that marvelous? That the Son of God had to deal with that man. And what does he say? Your sins are forgiven, but rise up and walk. And out he goes out that door. I can't imagine they he went home and grumbled. Can you imagine the celebration in that house? In, in that society, a man like that would be considered a useless member of society. How shocking is that? But that was the reality. And so he walked out that door becoming a productive member of society, not only perhaps providing for his family in a, in a more effective way, but he was able to be on his feet and walk out there at that door and tell everyone about Jesus. Now, the point is that if we have a transaction with Jesus, whatever that looks like, let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate the fact that Jesus has done something in our hearts. Jesus lived a marvelous life, a sinless life. And yet he teaches us what it means to love our neighbor. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, which means all of us, doesn't it? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so he came to seek and save us. There isn't a single person who's beyond the reach of our Lord. We see in Luke that he not only engages with the highest levels of society, in his case it was the Jewish rulers, the religious leaders, but he purposely searches out the marginalized the downcast the cast out he calls Levi to follow him Levi as we learned a few weeks ago he was a hated tax gatherer so in that sense he was an outcast of society what does Jesus do he comes he walks up to that task booth and he says Levi follow me Follow me. And what does Levi do? He does. He doesn't check his phone, doesn't check his appointments, he follows him. And look, Jesus goes and then he has dinner with the tax gatherers. And as the as the leaders, religious leaders said, with the sinners? How dare you have a meal with them? Jesus looks for the downcast, he looks for the, the marginalized in society to transform their lives. Not to leave them where they are, not to leave us where they are, but to transform our lives. God does amazing things. He does marvelous things. Jesus casts out demons, Jesus heals the leper. We learned recently about leprosy, that you, know, you wouldn't, it's, it's now known as Hansen's disease, but it was easily transferable. But Jesus touches him. This this man would have been an outcast. He would have been marginalized. He would have had to live in a camp somewhere else, not being part of society, being unproductive, cut off from his family, perhaps. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus touches the leper, and he transforms his life. God does marvelous things. He heals the woman who had a flux of blood for 12 years. Jesus, we, we read of Jesus having cast out seven demons from Mary Magdalene. Friends, no one is beyond the love of Jesus. No one. Isn't that wonderful? Yet It is true that when we put our faith and trust in Him, we're called to be disciples. We're called to be disciples because that means making different choices than what we did yesterday. It means making different decisions than we had in the past, but the point is, that his goodness and grace picks us up where we are and takes us forward. He works, it, 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 he, he works through us. He works, he works that through with us so that, so that we're not left feeling, oh, I can't do this. But actually, he carries us through. He takes us where we are and takes mm-hmm. us into his presence and, and gives us energy and, and, and brings us alive. But we make different decisions. As disciples, we make different decisions, different choices that honor Him. So, even greater than all the marvelous works that Jesus had done here on earth, the most marvelous thing is that He worked out salvation. He worked out salvation. Friends, it's right at this time of the year that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior. But it's also right to remember his purpose in coming to the earth in the first place. Jesus came into the, earth, the world for one purpose, and that was to save sinners through his death on the cross. And through doing so, he glorified God. It was for you and for me that Jesus came. He was false, but think about this. At the end of his public ministry, he was falsely accused by the religious leaders. He was sentenced to death falsely, and that, the death of the cross. Think of that, the Savior there, that lowly babe having to go that way. That was his purpose, was to go to the cross. On that cross, Jesus suffered for our sins. He became our substitute. You see, as sinners, as those who've gone away from God, who are away and distance from God, we deserve that penalty. But he became our substitute. He stood in my place. He took the penalty that belongs to us because we've disobeyed him, disobeyed God. He bore the wrath of God in judgment against sin. He gave up his life willingly. We sang in that song, didn't we, about the ransom. Jesus paid the money, as it were, He paid the price so that we could be free. And I love that verse in John 19 where it says he gave up his life willingly. What does he say? It says, John 19, verse 30. Let's just look at it. John 19, verse 30. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You're probably wondering, why, why am I talking about this at Christmas time when it's all about presents and all about having some good food and getting together? I'd like to encourage us to remember the purpose for why Jesus came, the wonderful, beautiful, marvelous Savior who came as a baby. Yes, let's celebrate that, but also let's celebrate or remember what he did for God and he did for us. Hold that in your heart, and I'll tell you the reason for why in a moment. So he shed his life blood so that all who trust in his finished work and his shed blood will be saved, will be saved. So Peter, the apostle, shares in his preaching at the beginning of Acts a summary of the life of Jesus and calls us to respond to it. He says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. So let me give some context to this. So Peter, Peter you remember, he... <laughs> When Jesus was on the cross, or going to the cross, Peter denies him. Says, "No, I don't know that man." Peter was transformed by that. After that massive mistake, Jesus, at the end of John's Gospel, you can read. He says, "Peter, do you love me?" He doesn't say. We studied this on on Wednesday, on Thursday evening. He doesn't say, "Oh, Peter, what a nightmare you are." He says, "Peter." do you love me? Will you feed my sheep? Will you shepherd my lambs? Think of that grace that Jesus displays in his resurrected body. So this, this is the background to this. So Peter is able to, uh, uh, you know, 40 days later, is able to stand up and say these words, give the most powerful, one of the most powerful preachings in the, in the, in the Bible. So he says being and therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne so he's giving the context to the Israelites he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption so he speaks about Jesus being raised from the dead after three days Jesus this Jesus God raised up and we are all witnesses there's there's a marker that you can take the Bible is its own witness. The Gospels are eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus. Therefore, being therefore exalted by the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promises, promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I take your enemies as a footstool. Now, this is one of the phrases I love. Let the whole house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the Jesus that we see as that baby, that Jesus who's God's marvelous handiwork, who is God's son, Is now been made both Lord and Christ. You see, this is why I want to link it together. We celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, at Easter, we we remember his death and all he went through, but it all links together because he is our Savior. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. And so he, he says, now what do you do? Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is why Jesus came. To enable and enact everything that had to be done so salvation can be ours. Well, it's God's salvation, and we give, he gives it to us. You see, that's why Jesus came. That's God's marvelous work. So you see, Jesus... And and this is coming back to the psalm now. So hopefully it makes sense. So coming back to the psalm, let's read it again. That first line. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. Then what did he say? His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. That's what I've just shown you. His right hand. The right hand in, 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 in Scripture refers to power and authority and his holy arm, they've worked out salvation. You see, so that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus, as we celebrate Christmas, was born so that he could enable salvation. God has done marvelous things. Yeah, there's more marvelous work, isn't there? So after Jesus died, he was raised from the dead, he's alive, and that's what we celebrate at Easter. Jesus is alive and ascended into heaven. As we get this, this verse in Acts, let the whole house, and that's you and I as well, let everyone know that this Jesus has been made both Lord and Christ. Those are two titles, I think, that are worthy of study. What does it mean to own him as Lord? You bow to heaven, surrender everything to him. He is the Christ, he is the anointed one, he's the Messiah of, Je- of God both Lord and Christ. Jesus, through his resurrection, has broken the power of Satan, friends. He has, by his awesome power and endless love, totally removed the distance between man and God that sin created for all who believe. Satan has been defeated, and by trusting in him, we have certainty of eternal life and are immediately brought into the family of God. So that picture, right at the beginning, the the, the race of humanity, God desires that all men everywhere repent, And believe in Christ. So that we're brought into the family of God. So this is the Savior we proclaim. It's that what we hold in our heart when we celebrate his birth at Christmas. That we have a victorious Savior who came as a babe. And transformed the whole course of history. God has done marvelous things. Friends, That birth that we celebrate at Christmas. And who we celebrate in our daily lives. And when we're able to get gathered together to worship, as Steve led us in this morning, my question to you is, do you trust him? Have you asked him to fill your heart? Let's just pause for a moment and just reflect on the marvelous things that God has done. A moment ago, I spoke of being together to worship. The beginning of our Psalms, David exhorts us to sing a new song to the Lord. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord. What does he mean by this? I think he means that from our hearts, we are singing from an entirely new song sheet. Our words, our focus, our attention, our actions are transformed by the work of Jesus. We no longer sing the songs of selfish desire, of sadness and despair, of broken lives. There's a certain genre that seems to have pickups and dogs that go missing and are broken. Daphne will tell you all about that. We don't sing those songs anymore. We sing the songs of the redeemed. We sing the songs of the glorious savior. We sing the songs of lives that are transformed by him. We sing the songs of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he's made salvation as a possibility through the work on the cross. Not only can we sing of the Savior that was born and who suffered and died, but we can sing of the Savior who lives and who will return. He is coming soon to take up his rights as universal King and Lord on this earth. It's coming. He is going to return. The second advent will happen. As John says, I think we'll be surprised how it might happen. But it will. We used to sing this song in days gone by. Jesus, thou art coming, coming as the king to this world of sorrow, happiness to bring. Evil then shall vanquish, wars and strife shall cease. Thou o mighty victor art the prince of peace. That's what he is. You know, there's another song that Jesus' mother wrote. The Magnificat. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, in Luke chapter 1. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. There we go. We get the arm again. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted the humble, those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and as he spoke to our fathers and Abraham to his offspring. But the point is: oh, my soul magnifies the Lord. There's a new song. <laughs> Can you imagine? She's just had a conversation with an angel telling her that she was going to carry a baby that was miraculously conceived. Who knows what was going through her head. But the result is this Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. We could go on and study the Magnificat for weeks, couldn't we? So much we could get out of that. So, in conclusion, David in this psalm is anticipating the coming victory of the Lord Jesus to save the world. And in this first verse, we've reflected on a few of the marvelous things that God has done. We have seen that as we come to the King, we can have joy because every person who believes in the Lord Jesus is redeemed. We are a redeemed people because of the finished work of Jesus. And so we cannot simply continue singing our old songs but we can sing a new song, the song of the redeemed. We can sing words like those of the Matt Redmond song, when I stand before your throne, dressed in glory, not my own. What a joy I'll sing of on that day. No more tears or broken dreams. Forgotten is the minor key, everything as it was meant to be. And we will worship, worship, forever in your presence we'll sing. We will worship. We will worship you the endless hallelujah to the King. So as we come into this Advent season, let us remember what we, that we can say in the words of the Isaac, Isaac Watts poem, joy to the world. That message is for everyone. The Lord is come, Jesus, the Son of God, has been here. Let earth receiver king. Let us encourage everyone. <clears throat> That, 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 that they need Christ. This world needs Christ. You know, the earth, receiver, king, the, the environment needs it as well, doesn't it? They need the healing power of Jesus. We need the king Jesus to return. We need some celebration like that going on upstairs, don't we? And let every heart prepare him. Will you accept him in your heart? Will you sing that new song of the redeemed? Will you be filled with the glory of Jesus? Will you proclaim him to everyone you meet? I trust and pray that that is a portion for all of us.